What a great, great song. Thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. And take your Bibles, if you would, church. We're going to look at two passages this morning. Uh, the end of Ephesians, where we have been for several months, as we're concluding this book, we're looking at prayer. And I appreciate Brother Asa bringing a message last week. Thank you for praying for our family. No one was hurt on our family vacation. So praise Jesus for that, including me. And we came back in one piece, and we had a great time together. And that is always fun when you get everybody in the same household. And, uh, uh, you know, as the kids are getting older, that's, that's not easy to do. I'm beginning to realize uh, what some of you all have experienced for many years. It's hard to get everybody together when they start spreading out. And uh, so it's a great, great time when you do that. Uh, it takes a little bit of work uh, to make it happen, but you're always glad when it does. And uh, I am always glad to be back with my church family, and I hope you consider me a part of your family. I consider this uh, a big family. And if you're a guest today, we hope you feel welcomed. And uh, if you don't, we haven't done our job, and we apologize, but we hope you feel welcomed. Uh, we'd love for this to be a family for you. And what we're studying about is prayer, and the, and the, uh, the, the underlying factor of this series is, is what the Apostle Paul concludes this incredible, incredible epistle with, is an appeal for people to pray for him. And my belief is that if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, I need prayer. <laughs> if the Apostle Paul prayed all the time, I need to pray all the time. And then he gives these incredible commands like he does in verse 18 of chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians. He says, pray at all times. So your prayer is to be persistent, and, and I opened that up a couple of weeks ago. We're to be persistently praying at all times, even with our eyes open, even when we're at work. We are to be, what that means is that we don't necessarily pause in the middle of everything we're doing and, and say a word of prayer, but that we are in a constant attitude, understanding that God is with us, that we need his help, and we need to be praising him in everything that we do. So our, we're to have this persistent life. But really what Paul is saying here is that every circumstance a believer faces is it requires prayer. Because we want to involve all that God is and all that God tells us about. We want to involve him in every decision, every situation in life. We want his will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven. So we're to pray in every kind of situation. In other words, God cares about every little situation, big or small. You're his children. So pray at all times. Pray in the spirit. We're to have partnering prayer. I talked about that the last time is that we don't pray alone. The spirit intercedes for us because a lot of times we don't even know what to pray and we pray in our weakness and we're praying for the wrong things and we, we need the spirit's help and we need to have perceptive prayer. Look what he says in the next part of this verse. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Be alert at what's happening in your heart, your mind, your family's heart, their mind, your church, your community, your nation. If you've got your eyes open, you'll have plenty of stuff to pray about, right? There's no lack of that. So be alert and you will have perceptive prayer. Then he says this, he says, pray for all the saints. All the saints. I hope you pray for me. I pray for the church. I pray for you. 
I try to pray for everybody on their birthdays, even if I don't get through to you on the phone. I pray for, I pray for people on their birthdays. Because you need prayer, I need prayer, and we need to pray. So we're to have persuasive prayer, perceptive prayer, partnering prayer, persistent prayer, and then we're to have particular prayer. We need to know how to pray for each other very particularly. How do we know that? Well, look at Paul. Look at verse 19. Paul says, and pray also for me. And let me tell you what I want you to pray about. He says, it'd be great to get out of prison, but that's not my biggest need. I'm going to tell you what you need to pray for. Pray that words may be given to me by God. Words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In other words, pray for me because this gospel is a mystery to people. They need their eyes opened by God. And I, in the weakness of my flesh, I know what my tendency and my flesh's desire will be is to get out of this mess. Don't pray that I get out of this mess, but that I will stand with boldness and courage. Give me courage. Pray that I'll have courage to boldly proclaim the gospel. Clearly, do we need that courage in our day and time? Verse 20 says, because I'm an ambassador in chains. <laughs> that sounds like a, a contradiction, isn't it? An ambassador is someone who's moving and going. But he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. I've got a problem. But pray for me that I may declare the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. So he gives us this example of prayer. And when I look at this kind of command, when Paul's saying, all right, Chauncey, you pray at all times in the Spirit for all believers... In particular, for, for power and boldness and for the kingdom, you pray like that. I sometimes feel, and you might join me in this, a little inadequate in my prayer life. Do I pray this way? And sometimes I look to God, and especially as I've been studying to preach it, and I say, God, teach me to pray better. Give me a passion for prayer, spirit for prayer. And I don't think I'll ever quit asking God for that. Because I haven't met too many believers that get to the point and say, I prayed enough. I'm good. That question sounds a little bit like one that we find in Luke. So I want you to turn to Luke. Luke chapter 11. And I want I wanna us to look at prayer from a, from a, a, a big picture today. And I'm probably going to get a little more specific next time and tonight. But I want us to look at it from a big picture because what I feel led to do is to try to provoke you to think about prayer, provoke you to, to want prayer in your life, to seek it. Because I know the enemy doesn't want you to pray. The first, uh, during the first service, during the choir special, the congregation probably noticed me slide out that door. It's because I checked my battery pack and it was low. So during the choir special, I ran to my office and reloaded. Now, why did I put in fresh batteries? I want to make sure that in the middle of my message, that nothing comes between my communication with you. I want it to go from here up to the booth, out of those little boxes, into your ears, right? And if the power is cut off, the communication is cut off. I didn't want that to happen. 
I remember my first trip to Romania uh, many years ago. We took a mission trip over there, and we were going through these villages, and this was my first experience out there, a young pastor, and we had witnessed this entire um, village in Romania, and he invited them to one of the local homes for a worship service that night, and I was going to get to preach, and, and we had packed this house out, and about the time we start singing, I'm getting ready to preach, the lights go out, and it's dark. No electricity to the home. Now, it, that may not seem, have seemed unusual because the infrastructure was not very good in that place. But we found out later that what had happened is the wires had been cut by the village priest. He had gone and cut. He's an Eastern Orthodox priest. They rule those towns through fear. I will not bury you. I will not give you last rites if you become a born-again believer. So he cut the lines of electricity trying to stop the proclamation of the gospel. Fortunately, you can preach in the dark. So we just went ahead with it. But anyway, your enemy wants you to live your life in the dark. The spiritual enemy wants to cut off the communication between you and your heavenly father. He wants you not to pray. That prayerlessness, that that restlessness in your prayer life, that lack of prayer is not by accident and it's not particular to you. It is the effort of the world system, the weakness of your flesh, and the wiles of the devil at work to keep you, to cut the lines of communication between you and your father. And so I want to just look at how absurd that is, prayerlessness, and what a sin that is, prayerlessness. Because... It is perhaps the worst possible thing because you and I have a direct line, infinite access into the throne room of the only eternal God, and we don't take advantage of it. We live life in the dark when we live without prayer. And so this is what the Lord has been really working in my heart over these last few weeks of preparation and I think it was beginning to work on these disciples because one of the, the disciples noticed a lot of great things about Jesus. It says the people were amazed at his teaching, the authority of his teaching. The disciples were amazed at his ability to teach. They were amazed at his miracles. But what they wanted to know more than anything, I think is in this verse, verse 1. Look at what it says. He says in Luke 11, verse 1, Lord, <clears throat> teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus had just finished praying in a certain place. And the Lord was, was, uh, gave us uh, a great picture of Jesus' prayer life in the Gospels for a reason. It showed us him praying at his baptism it showed him praying in the wilderness for 40 days. It showed him praying at the transfiguration. It showed him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It showed him leaving the people and spending entire nights in prayer. It showed Jesus, God the Son, in his humanity, just like you and I, he showed him to be a man passionate and in need of prayer. And the disciples, this didn't escape them. We must need this too. Teach us, Jesus, to pray like that. And I don't think they were asking in particular, just teach us the particular magic words. 
We want the magic words. I think they were looking at his attitude as much as what he might say. Just teach us to want to pray the way you do, to love prayer the way you do, to pursue prayer the way you do. Teach us to pray. So Jesus said, okay, here it is. Here it is. And he gives a a view of prayer that I think is throughout the New Testament. And it shows prayer in three, from three different angles. The first angle is the personal eternal angle. The personal eternal angle. And if you don't have this personal element as as a part of your prayer life, the rest of it's going to fall apart. And when we look at the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, he began it personally. He said, our what? Father. Our Father. He appeals to the personal relationship that we have with God. And you know what he says? He says, our Father, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. He says, our Father, who art in heaven on the throne of the universe, our Father who sees everything, who created everything, our Father who art in heaven, may your name be worshipped, hallowed, and honored above all others. May your name be made holy in my personal life. May I worship you. Prayer in its very essence, the roots of prayer is worship. Worship is really Worth-ship. It's, it's what you consider worth clapping for, worth spending time with, and worth dedicating yourself to. And we've been singing this morning and worshiping with our voices, but there's no greater act of worship than to come into the throne room of God and say, talk to me, God. Talk to me. I want to hear your voice. I want to spend time with you. And I want to share with you my needs and my hurts. And I want to experience my relationship with you. Prayer is worship. Prayer is a personal, eternal relationship with the only God of the universe. And you have unlimited access to that. Is that worth your time. I tell you, as I think through this, I'm thinking, what? We, we ought to just celebrate the fact that we can pray in any posture, in any place, for any reason, at any time. And I don't need the priest. I have the priest. He's there. I pray in his name. I pray through Jesus. And so prayer is worship. Hebrews 11.6 is a great definition of prayer. If you want a great definition of prayer, look at Hebrews 11.6. I have it above. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who do what? Who seek him. Did you hear that? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, what pleases God? What pleases God is someone who draws towards him in faith and expects God to hear him and reward him for his seeking. And that's in the Bible. It's right there in Scripture. 
God wants you to want Him and to come to Him freely. He wants to reward you with His presence, with His face, with His hand of favor. Seek Him. Is He worth it? Prayer is worship. And our Father, our Father, Jesus said, our Father. He didn't say our President, our King. He didn't, he didn't give it some sort of a little less personal title. He said this is worship of our Father. He provided us. He produced us. He loves us. He's going to care for us. He's adopted us. And so we worship Him. You know, I, I, I just I can't imagine what God must think most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I know how irritated I get. I, we have cell phones, right? And when you have a bunch of kids and they start becoming teenagers, you, you feel obligated to help provide them with cell phones. And so you go through that and you spend all this money and then they lose them and crack them and drop them in pools and all this kind of great stuff. And if you have little kids, just wait, you'll love that. Uh, but here's what, you know, the most irritating thing about cell phones for me as the father who, who provides these cell phones, the most irritating thing to me is not the cost, is not the effort, it's not even when they drop it in the pool. It's when they won't answer my phone call. <laughs> is that not the most irritating thing? What do you mean I need to text you? No, if I ring the phone... If, the fa- if you see dad, answer it. I'll cut you off. Amen. Praise the Lord. They just don't understand. They'll understand one day. I believe in a God of revenge, right? They'll understand one day the feeling of, am I not worth answering the phone? I paid for it. I made you. I have fed you and clothed you. Will you not answer my call? Can you imagine what God must think? (laughs) He's paid a much higher price for the communication you can enjoy with him. It's an act of worship. We love you, Father. We want to talk to you. We want to hear from you. And here's what's cool. So that's the eternal perspective, the eternal personal aspect. And notice Jesus puts that at the very beginning, the foundation. Our Father, who art in heaven, may your name be worshipped. Hallowed. And then it turns horizontal. He says, all right, now, here's what I'm asking, God. I am asking, when I'm in, when I'm in the presence of God, Sometimes it seems sort of uh, that my requests ought to be in the context of what he wants more than of what I really want. Does that make sense? So here I am at at the throne room of God, and I'm talking to him through the blood of his son Jesus who he provided, and my flesh just wants this. Something happens, if you begin it in worship, your horizontal requests take on different context, meaning. So, 
give me this day my daily bread, but don't just give it to me because I'm hungry. Because I want your will to be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. I want your kingdom to come through my fed body and my forgiven sins. And, and, and for Sally and for John and Sue, I don't want them to suffer and die from that disease. Heal them for your kingdom's sake. Thy kingdom come. You see how your prayers take on a different meaning. If it starts vertical as worship, then the work of prayer becomes different. The work of prayer is not just providing your needs. I mean, Jesus wants to provide your daily bread. But he knows you have an eternity in heaven so that the idea of a daily bread, the idea of the forgiveness of your sins and forgiving your neighbors and, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who are debtors, you know, all that. He says those horizontal things are not really ultimately all about you and your happiness. But it's about that part where it says thy kingdom as it is where your will is done in heaven, may that happen horizontally on earth. And that is the work of prayer. See, the work of prayer is me pursuing God and seeking those things in my life and for you and for this church, seeking it for the horizontal kingdom purposes. Am I making any sense? I think this is a key because listen to what Jesus says in John 14. John 14. He says, here's the work of prayer. Here's how this works. Truly, truly. Verse 12 of John 14. He says, truly, truly, disciples, I say to you, listen to me. Whoever believes in me will also do the horizontal works that I do. You see all this stuff that I'm doing, you're gonna love people the way I am. You're gonna see, uh, you're gonna see the kingdom spread, these horizontal works, and in fact, he says, and greater works than these will be, will he do, because I am going to the Father. What happened when he went to the Father is he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just with us, he's in us, he's in every believer. Wherever those believers are, all around the earth, we become the body of Christ, and now we represent Christ in the world, and he can do greater things through his church spread around the world than he could do individually in Palestine 2,000 years ago. He's doing great works through the body of Christ, but here's what enacts it. Here's what connects it. Look at verse 13. He says, so here's how these greater works occur. Who, Whatever you what? Ask in my authority, my name, my cross, what, who I am, if you ask on the basis of your faith in me and my position with the Father, I will do it. I'll do the work that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So Jesus is about bringing glory. Remember, all of prayer... And the whole deal is about the worship of God for his glory. Jesus said, I've come to glorify you. I'm doing the works to glorify you, Father. And I'm even going to answer Chauncey's prayer 
and those people at Westside's prayer, I'm gonna answer their prayers for your glory and I'm gonna do greater works through them if they'll ask. If they'll ask. But they're too busy. They're too busy. Jesus said in John 15, if you'll abide in me, you'll rest in me, you'll pray, you'll trust me, abide in me. Here's the work of prayer. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, I supply it all, you're just the branches, stick with me. Pray, ask, whoever abides in me and I in him, he's the one that is gonna bear much fruit horizontally for my kingdom. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So the work of prayer is me taking my life, my problems, my church, my friends, my, my nation, taking all this to the throne and sticking with God and communicating with God about that and saying, okay, God, I'm abiding in you with these requests, with my desperate need. I'm abiding in you. I'm asking in the power and the name of Jesus that you would do your kingdom work in these problems for your glory. And you will see greater works. Greater works. I'm about to get excited. I mean, that excites me. I don't know about you. Because this is not me telling you this. This is Jesus telling you. And then he prays to the Father. and says, God, I pray that you'll do this for them. Paul the Apostle prayed and he asked the Ephesians to pray for them, for him in prison. He says, pray for me that I will have boldness to proclaim the gospel. I'm an ambassador, but I'm in chains. And, and I'm not even just worried about the physical chains. I'm worried about my own lack of courage. Pray that my tongue will never stop when it sees the fear Pray for boldness in my witness. In Philippians, listen, this is written a little bit later. Listen to what he writes to the Philippians about the answer to the Ephesians' prayers for his boldness. Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served, what has happened to me, he's talking about his imprisonment, what's happened to me has really served to do what? Advance the kingdom. You mean being in chains, advance the kingdom? How did that happen? The power of God through the prayers of his people and Paul's appeal for prayer and Paul's passion for prayer, those chains cannot stop the power of God. I've got chains, you got chains. I've got limitations, you've got limitations. They can't stop God. 
What, what really comes between you and the greater works is a lack of prayer. That's what I'm being confronted with in a fresh way preaching this series. He says, verse 13, he says, here's how it's advanced. It has become known, the gospel, throughout the entire imperial Roman guard. What I just didn't realize, as you were praying, I, had, I was chained to a guard most of the day, and they had a rotation. Some of these guys were hearing the gospel. Getting, all of them were hearing the gospel, you know. Some of them were getting saved. The gospel began to spread through the guard. And not only that, I love this. He says, and most of the brothers, look at verse 14, and most of the other Christians have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So as you're praying, God, release me from the chain of this this financial bondage, the chain of this cancer, the chain of this fearfulness, the chain of this. Be sure and say, God, in your release of this, even while I'm in this mess, use it for the advance of your kingdom and your glory. You may see greater works in the midst of that sickness than you would without the sickness. And that's hard for us because what's our flesh say? Get me out of this. And so our Father, our, who art in heaven, you know, you can see correctly. I can't see, perceive perfectly. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be praised whether I'm in the prison and chained or whether I'm prosperous and at the top of the ladder. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done vertic- horizontally in my life, in, on, in my family, on earth, in my church, in my life group, as it is in heaven. So provide for me, God, my daily bread for this purpose. Help me be in right relationship with my brothers and my sisters. Let me forgive those who have sinned against me because I've been forgiven. Prayer is worship. That's the work of prayer. But then what does Jesus pray next? He says prayer is also warfare. What does Jesus pray next? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Evil. Jesus knew that prayer is in the context of war. John Piper does some great preaching on prayer, and he talks about the fact that prayer we often treat <laughs> as, a, as an intercom system to God like a servant. You press the intercom, could you send some room service? I'm hungry. It's not an intercom system for God. It is a walkie-talkie system to the commander in the midst of a battle. That's why Paul says, of all things, he says, you know, I, am, I want you to pray for me because I know the warfare that's coming and it's worse than these physical chains 
I know I'm going to face a crisis of faith in a moment. I'm going to stand before Nero. I'm going to stand before the Roman. They're going to threaten to cut my head off if I preach this. I know their spiritual warfare. They're, and discouragement is far worse than the scourging of these Roman soldiers. The disillusionment, the discouragement of being in this prison and hearing that some of my disciples are abandoning me and the faith, that's what's crushing me. Pray that I don't lose my nerve. It's warfare. Deliver us from evil, Jesus said. See those different aspects. Worship, work, in the context of a battle. Do we need to pray, church? Why don't we do that? Would you bow your heads? And here's what I'd love for you to pray right now is, God, give me a heart for prayer. Break the stronghold of prayerlessness in my life. Help me to see prayer first and foremost as worship. Then as I work, do the work of prayer and bring my needs and the needs of others and all the saints and confess my, as I do all that, you work horizontally for your kingdom's sake in my life. If you give me that job, use that job for your kingdom. If you give me uh, an A on that test, make me the kind of student that will spread your kingdom. So as you pray, you bring those needs before God, you just say, God, your kingdom come through meeting these needs. And then you pray but protect me. I'm liable to fall to the enemy. The enemy within my flesh, the enemy of the world system, pray God, I don't want to follow that, and the enemy of the devil and his demonic who don't want you to pray. With your heads bowed, we're about to, as a group, take the Lord's Supper And I see this as a reminder that I'm wearing the victor's crown. If it were up to the power of my prayer life to get me to heaven or to get anybody to heaven, we'd all be in trouble. This supper we're about to take is going to remind us that he saved us through his broken body and his shed blood. He gave his life, and by his grace, we can pray. By his grace, we can be saved. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord Lord and Savior, the Bible says not to take this. If you've not trusted him and placed your belief in him, you watch. But experience this as an invitation. Maybe you're ready right now to receive Christ and trust him as your Lord and Savior. You can pray that right now. You can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come in and save me. And and he will enter into that relationship with you. He's paid the price. Trust him as your Lord and Savior right now. And when this, this bread and this juice comes by, you can take it symbolically for something that just happened spiritually. Receive Christ today if you haven't. If you have, take this with joy, but also take it as a reminder of the cost of our sin. We're going to take the bread in a moment, but just in just a few moments of quiet,
quiet, would you just confess, prepare your heart for this? Father, we will continue as we hold the bread in just a moment. We will continue to allow you to search our hearts and expose those hidden sins, expose those strongholds. Work through this moment of united uh, worship. And through prayer, I pray that you would break the strongholds of sin in our lives that you take captive those thoughts of anxiousness, of worry, of depression, of anger, bitterness, lust. Take those thoughts captive. And Father, may we rejoice in this moment and celebrate the great grace you've given. And we ask this now as we pass the bread. In Jesus' name, amen.